Well, at this time, I'd invite you to turn in the back of your Psalter hymnals to Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40. You could find that on page 891. As we make our way through the Ten Commandments, looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, we come to the Sixth Commandment today, which is, you shall not murder. And we see here in the Catechism both, um, you might say, the negative element of that command and the positive element to that. In Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40, question and answer is 105, uh, 106, 107. So, beloved in the Lord, verse 105, what is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this and others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Question 106, does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. And finally, question answer 107, is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly towards them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Well, let us now turn to God's word to consider this commandment. We'll see one example of this from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. We're invited to turn there now, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 through 37. And then we'll focus primarily on the sixth commandment, but we'll refer to this parable that Jesus tells to illustrate a little bit of the different aspects of the sixth commandment. But here we read from God's word these words. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think 
prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, sadly, brothers and sisters, as some have said, we live in a culture of death. All over this world, we see death all around us in various forms. Sadly, we see in our own country, right, mass shootings in different kinds of contexts. We see acts of terrorism. We see more culturally acceptable forms of death and bloodshed. You might think of physician-assisted suicide or, of course, probably the most obvious abortion. Right? It's estimated that each year around the globe, there's 40 to 50 million abortions worldwide, all image bearers of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. Right, A few years ago, there was an abortion doctor who died in Indiana, and investigators found in his garage over 2,000 body parts of aborted babies in his garage. Uh, this is the culture of death that we live in, a culture of bloodshed. The 20th century as a whole was the bloodiest century in human history. Multiple world wars, the Holocaust, genocide in Rwanda, and the list goes on. What is God's heart towards all of this bloodshed? Well, God has told us his will in the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. We'll see in this commandment, it not only deals with outward acts of violence and evil, but it deals with the very root of evil, which is the human heart. And tonight we want to consider this as we look at this command, looking also at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Again, we'll follow that flow we've been looking at. What does this commandment mean? How do we fall short of it as God's people? How does Jesus fulfill it? And how do we walk in this command by the Holy Spirit? First, beloved, what does this commandment mean? Right, the King James Version, if you're looking at that one, it says, you shall not kill. Uh, But the root of this commandment deals with the unlawful killing of another human being. Uh, That translation is used in that way because in the English language, killing and murder were a bit more synonymous at that time. But now we know that there's really two different types of killing that we're thinking about, lawful and unlawful types of killing, which we call murder. See, the Bible doesn't forbid all kinds of killing. Uh, The Bible does permit uh, bloodshed in certain instances. See it in the Old Testament, especially with self-defense, retribution, capital punishment that takes place. The New Testament shows, as we just confessed, that one of the purposes of government is to wield that physical sword to restrain evil, right? To punish evil and to promote good. But the very um, principle behind that is the preservation of life as a whole, right? Think about it in a context like this. If a person is in a movie theater and they're shooting up the, the movie theater with an act of violence, right? It's right and it's lawful to to use deadly force against that person because the principle is the preservation of life, even as we mourn the life that's taken. This is from God's word, Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And this, again, doesn't just refer to um, murder in a deliberate way, but it could also be extended to things like unintentional homicide or manslaughter, which is killing without malice or premeditation. Uh, This could also refer to, as we confessed in the catechism, recklessly endangering the life of other people, 
right? When someone's driving drunk on the freeway or under the influence of some substance, or when they're going 180 miles down the road, they are recklessly uh, endangering the life of other image bearers. This command also deals with negligence. When we fail to care for those who are in need or fail to care for ourselves in a bodily way. Why does God forbid unauthorized killing? It's because human beings are made in the image of God. In Genesis 9, when God says these words, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, he gives us in the same verse the basis. For in the image of God, he created mankind. You see, in this command, beloved, God wants us, he wants people as a whole to have a reverence for the life that he has given that he has made people in his image. And whenever we kill or harm our neighbor, we are defiling, you might say, God's masterpiece because he has made people in his image. Calvin put it like this, our neighbors bear the image of God. To use him, abuse or misuse him is to do violence to the person of God whose image himself and who images himself in every human soul. So we see this commandment broken in the parable of the good samaritan right this man that is going down making his journey comes about robbers and what do they do they strip the man they beat him up and they leave him half dead and so we see this command refers to unlawful killing to murder but it also refers to god's people or people in general ignoring the hurting right israel was called to remember god's mercy and to be a merciful people in response to the grace that they have received. And if they ignored the hurting and the downtrodden among them and did not do justice and righteousness, they were held responsible in God's sight. That's what we see in this parable, right? The priest and the Levite pass by on the other side. They ignore the hurting, right? They leave the man in his state to die. God holds us responsible for the hurting people that he places in our path. We're we're accountable before him for how we treat those people in our own society, right? The unborn, the elderly who are sometimes mistreated and forgot about, right? Those caught up in sex trafficking, image bearers of God who who are undergoing violence in some kind of way. God calls us as They're put in our path as they're put on our radars. We have opportunity to do good to them, to not ignore the hurting. If we are passive or compliant with those who do these things, we are doing evil in God's sight. And so we're not to murder, according to our catechism. We're not to ignore the hurting. And thirdly, we're called to promote the well-being or promote the life of others. Again, listen to this from the catechism. Is it enough then that if we do not kill our neighbors in such way? No, for when God commands, condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he requires us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards them, to prevent injury to him as much as we can, and also to do good to our enemies. Again, it's not just you shall not do this thing, but you shall do this thing, right? You shall promote the life and well-being of your neighbor. There's the positive element to it. The opposite of a murderous, destructive heart is a heart of love in action towards fellow image bearers. Calvin put it this way. The purpose of this command is this, 
The Lord has bound mankind together by a certain unity. Hence, each man ought to concern himself with the safety of all. And this command requires that we actively show love to our neighbor as ourselves. Part of why Jesus gave this parable was to show this lawyer what it means to actually love your neighbor. Right? He shows us in this parable, we don't merely love our friends. We don't merely love people who think just like us, but we love people who are precisely not like us. And that's what this parable is about. This Samaritan, who is unlike this person making this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, proves himself to actually be a neighbor, not by loving people who are part of his own tribe, like-minded like him, but he's loving someone different, someone who might even be in society his enemy. And he shows sacrificial love to this stranger at a great cost to himself. Jesus said in Matthew 5:44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Because when we love our enemies, we're loving people like God loves. Because when we were enemies of God, fighting against him, hating him and one another, that's when God set his love upon us. And so in summary, this command is calling us to have a holy reverence for the life that God has given to humanity as those made in his image. Well, how do we fall short of this? We may not have murdered someone physically, beloved, but we've all broken this command, myself included. Again, this command speaks not only to the act of murder, but as we confess, it speaks to the very root of murder, which is our human heart. We murder others, Jesus says, in our thoughts and with our words and certainly also with our deeds. Matthew 15, 19, Jesus says, murder flows from our heart. Think about it. If we never experienced inwardly those feelings of anger and bitterness and wrath, there wouldn't be outward acts of murder. right? If we never experienced that vengeful spirit, we wouldn't want to inflict violence upon people. But we feel this inside all of us included in different ways, right? When someone is on the road with you and they cut you off, right? We get angry. We even might get a little bit of road rage. When someone challenges you on social media in front of other people on your friends list, right? You might get mad. There may be even certain people in your life that you just have deep down an intense hatred for, right? Someone who's betrayed you or wronged you, or maybe it's a person that you don't even know personally, but you just don't like. Maybe it's some kind of politician or some public figure that you just despise. You despise their lifestyle and who they are. We all allow, don't we, at different ways, resentment to fester in us, bitterness to a degree to grow, even towards people we love, towards our spouse, towards our children. And we need to hear very clearly that God hates that very root of murder within us because it leads to the damage of image bearers that he made. Again, even our words can damage other people, right? Children, the saying, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is not a true stain. God's word says in Proverbs 12:18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, right? Rash words aren't sometimes words of rebuke that we need to hear that ultimately build us up, right? But rash words are words that simply destroy, right? And we know this as children. We know this as adults, right? When there's a bully on the playground and they're 
calling you a name. They're making fun of you. They're trying to, to dehumanize you and, and, and pick on you in front of other people. Their words are like sword thrusts going right into your heart. And it hurts you. It makes you feel embarrassed. It makes you feel sad. Well, God tells us in his word, when we give in to hatred and thought, word, or deed, or bitterness, or rage, we're actually following the path of Satan himself. Scripture says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, 1 John 2. From the beginning, Satan wanted to destroy God's very good design by leading humanity away from God. And after sin entered this world, beloved, we might wonder, well, how bad would the world really be now that sin's here? And you know what the first explicit sin was after the fall of mankind into sin? It was murder. Cain murdering his brother Abel out of envy and out of jealousy. 1 John 3.12 says to the church, We are not to be like Cain who murdered his brother. And anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And today God calls us to let go of bitterness and wrath and resentment that we might be feeling inside. Is there anyone in your life, beloved, that, that you have that towards, that you loathe, maybe that you wish harm upon? Maybe you wouldn't physically ever commit that act against someone, but you kind of wish for their downfall in a certain way. God says, calls us to let go of these things and to trust him as the God who, venge- who is the great avenger of all wrongdoing. And so we, are, we fall short of this by how we murder others in our thoughts, words, and deeds. As we mentioned in our catechism, we also harm ourselves. That's a way that we can fall short of this command. We might think of obvious things, beloved, like cutting ourselves, seeking to take our own life. Those are breaking this command. But when we deliberately harm our bodies, we're going against God's will for us here. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're destroying the, the image of God that he's placed upon us. And finally, again, we fall short of this command when we fail to promote the life of our neighbor. In Luke chapter 10, again, we read, Now by chance, a priest was going down the same road. When he saw him, he passed by on their side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Neither of these men who knew God's law because they were priests and because they were Levites, stopped and obeyed God's law at this point. And likewise, we fall short of this command when we don't help the helpless and the downtrodden that God has put before us on our path. Listen to how Luther puts it. He says, this commandment is violated not only when a person actually does evil, but also when he fails to do good to his neighbor. Or, though he has the opportunity, fails to prevent, protect, and save him from suffering bodily harm or injury. If you send a person away naked when you could clothe him, you have let him freeze to death. If you see anyone suffering hunger and do not feed him, you let him starve. Likewise, if you see anyone condemned to death or in a similar peril and you do nothing to save him, although you know, although you had the means you have killed him. It will do you no good to plead that you did not contribute to his death by word and deed, for you have withheld your love from him and robbed him of the service by which his life might have been saved. 
I think Luther there captures in his quote the two elements of the sixth command. Not only do not murder and inflict pain and hurt upon someone unlawfully, but also promote life and well-being for your neighbor as God gives you opportunity. But if you're like me, sometimes we have apathy and indifference even towards those that God has made in his own image, even towards our neighbor in need. And so we, beloved, need a savior. We need someone to save us from our murderous hearts. And this is what Jesus did. How does Jesus fulfill this command? Jesus is the source of life. We read in John chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus doesn't simply bring about life for us, but he is life in his very being. In the beginning, God created life as we know it, speaking this world into existence through Christ and by the power of his spirit. And even after sin entered this world, distorting God's very good creation, bringing a curse, Jesus came to bring about life once again, new life in us and a new creation. And think about it, in his ministry on earth, his kingdom The kingdom that he brought to earth and continues to bring was characterized by life. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus brought the dead to life. Jesus fed the hungry. Life physically and spiritually came in Jesus' name and marked his kingdom. He claimed to be the very bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the living water. Moreover, beloved, Jesus loved his enemies, enduring shame, mockery, and even an unlawful death in order to save us. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. He saw you and me on the side of the road, dead in our trespasses and sins, helpless to recover on our own. And Jesus looked upon us even when we were enemies of God, and he had what? The very thing said here, he had compassion. And he came to us, and he restored us back to life, ultimately by giving up his own life for us. You see, the Good Samaritan sacrificed much, didn't he? He gave up his money, he gave up his time, right? He gave up many things that that costed him something. But Jesus gave his very life to give us life, when we were dead in trespasses and in sins. Our Lord Jesus sacrificed himself for us so that poor sinners like us can be restored back to the Father. He might give us life. Even from the cross, as Jesus was being unlawfully killed by wicked men, he prayed in Luke 23, 24, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And think about this, after Jesus rose from the dead, sent forth the Holy Spirit, and Peter Peter preached the gospel, he preached to the very people who murdered Jesus. And he said this, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised up. And God, being so full of grace and mercy, said to these men, repent and believe, and you will receive forgiveness of sins. And they did. And God granted to them, these murderers, forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Beloved, today, Jesus is still granting that forgiveness. 
by his perfect life of obedience, by his sacrificial death, he continues to bring to people like us everlasting life. If you trust in Jesus today, if you too repent and believe, then you have life everlasting in Jesus' name. But if you reject the Son, the Word of God says you will experience eternal death, judgment in body and in soul, because you reject the only one, the only one who can give you life. Beloved, the gospel of Jesus is able in this world that we're living in to change the heart of murderers who hate God and who hate people to actually be people who promote life. Think about the Apostle Paul. Murderer, persecutor of the church, marked by this hatred towards the very people of God. But God saved this man. And now instead of being a persecutor of the church, he became an ambassador of the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good news. How can we walk now in this command in light of the gospel? Ephesians 4, verse 31, reminds us as beloved children, put away hatred, malice, envy, bitterness, fits of anger. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In our flesh, we all struggle with this murderous heart in our flesh. But thanks be to God, beloved, even as we heard this morning, God has given to us his Holy Spirit, the spirit of his son, so that we can begin, not perfectly, but truly, to turn away from all these things. And we could heed that call of God to love our enemies, because when we were enemies of God, that's when he loved us. Second, beloved, we are called then to promote life in every way for our neighbor. If there's anyone who should be pro-human flourishing in general for image bearers of God, it is the people of God who have received life. And here we're not thinking about simply promoting the right political agenda that's supposed to help people. That might be one avenue by which you can love your neighbor as yourself, but that's not the only way you love your neighbor as yourself. There's many other ways that we can seek to care for the needy that God has placed on our path. And God calls each one of us to be faithful and responsible to care for those people that especially need us today. Again, you could think of the unborn. You could think of the elderly. You could think of disabled people. You could think of single mothers. You could think of refugees. You could think of the homeless. Each one are needy in their own particular way. All bear the image of God, and therefore all are worthy of our love and our devotion. As we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, we are to protect our neighbor from harm as much as we can. Now, we all can't be equally devoted to all these people and all of these causes at the same time. Right? We're not God. We're not Jesus. We're limited in our resources, limited in our time. But when we are prayerfully, all of us, considering our part and how to love our neighbor as ourselves, working together as the church, God is using our efforts to be a blessing, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people around us. And we're simply called to be faithful, to be faithful in answering that call when God places it on our path. Finally, as we confess 
We are to follow Jesus by loving our enemies as ourselves. Beloved, God has put a different spirit within the Christian. It's not the spirit of this world, which is marked by vengeance and payback and all the rest. But it's the spirit of Jesus Christ, which enables us to be patient, long-suffering, gentle, and merciful even to our enemies. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, we do good to our enemies because when we were enemies of God, he loved us. So, beloved, in our culture of death, may we live as followers of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. In this parable, Jesus said to the lawyer, you go and do likewise. This lawyer, in our text, we're told he was trying to justify himself by his own good works. But as Christians, you see, we have a very different motivation for going and doing likewise. We have come to Jesus. We have come to know in him we are justified by grace as a gift of God through that redemption that is in Christ. He gave his life for us at a great cost that we might be brought back to life. But now in light of the gospel, Jesus says to us, go and do likewise. Indeed, may we heed that call of our Savior. And in our culture of death, may we be God's people of life. Amen. Let's pray. Our blessed triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give thanks to you. Father, we praise you for being the one who sent your Son to reconcile us to you when we were your enemies. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we worship and praise you, Holy Spirit. You are the one who has come and who has taken out our heart of stone, our hostile, hate-filled heart towards you, God, and toward another. You've put a new heart within us, a heart that now can begin to love the Lord, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we confess we have only a, a small beginning of this holiness that you desire from us in this life. Nevertheless, we trust that the good work you have begun you will finish. And so, Lord, even this week, help us, O oh God, to, in light of the gospel, be people who love our neighbor as ourselves. As we offer opportunities, Lord, help us to do good in Jesus' name towards all people, especially as we heard this morning, help us to not grow weary in being witnesses of the truth, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ for sinners. Father, hear our prayers. Bless us now in the remainder of this service and even in our discussion time now. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.